Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, we start off today reminding ourselves that you are a good God, that you are a faithful God, that you are a promise-keeping God. And Lord, that as you determine something, Lord, as you determine something to be, nothing can thwart that. And Lord, we thank you for that today. We thank you for the sunshine today, Lord. And even as we begin to look into the darkness, Lord, we thank you that we're reminded today that you are the light of the world. Lord, would you help me to share your word, Lord, to be clear and to be faithful. Lord, would you help us to be attentive. Uh, Lord, would you help us to be humble. Lord, would you speak to our hearts. Lord, would you really help us uh, in our time of need. Lord, would you be glorified in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Psalm 88. I'm reading from the ESV. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one who's set loose, it's like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions deep and dark, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves, Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me, you have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that, no, so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do, you depart, do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of, the, of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me, your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long, they close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me, my companions have become darkness. Thank you, Father. Uh, earlier this week, uh, I was reading uh, an article on a Christian uh, website. And um, I wanted to share that article uh, with you as we, as we begin. It was referring to um, people who have deconverted from Christianity. Not converted to Christianity, but deconverted. They call themselves... They call them, Deconversions, those who basically at some point made a profession of faith and then for some reason or other they've then walked away from that faith, calling it deconversion. And the, the heading of the, the, the article says, Why do Christians leave the faith, breaking up with a God who failed them? 
In a study of religious deconversion, we analyzed 50 online testimonies posted by former Christians, and in these testimonies, we found four general explanations for deconversion. I'm only going to cover two. The first explanation regarded intellectual and theological concerns about the Christian faith. The second regards a failed relationship with God. Almost half, 22 of the 50, of of the writers expressed sentiments that in some way God had failed them by his not doing what they thought he should. God's perceived failure took various forms, most of which fall under the general heading of unanswered prayers. One way that people felt that God had failed them happened when he did not respond to requests for help during difficult times. A young man raised in a Baptist church epitomized this feeling of failure when he wrote about God not answering his prayers about family difficulties. He wrote, the first time I questioned the faith was when my grandmother shriveled up in front of me after six months of cancer. I was 13 and my mother and father were getting a divorce. My father told me that I should have been aborted. I prayed to God, but nothing fails like prayers. Other writers took a different approach to God's failures. They too sought God's help. But when they did not receive it, they simply concluded that God didn't exist. A former member of an Assemblies of God church explicitly linked unanswered prayers and the existence of God. He said, how many humble and totally selfless prayers offered up to to and ignored by the imaginary sky daddy does it take for the average person to finally throw in the towel and say, God does not exist. I wonder if you've ever felt this way. Maybe that, well, some of you may, may have felt that God doesn't exist, but have you felt that God doesn't answer prayer? There's no point in praying. It's pointless. You find yourself in a difficult situation that you want God to deliver you from, and he hasn't delivered you in the way that you felt that he should. Or maybe you're here today as a believer, but at the moment you're not praying. You've given up on prayer. It's funny, as I considered uh, Psalm 88, um, I was thinking about what I wanted to kind of share. Obviously, had the whole Bible to, I could have gone anywhere. And I started, was drawn to Psalm 88, started reading it. And I felt a bit like, well, I felt like that people should feel, you know, when you're watching X Factor, and somebody goes on and they say, okay, what, what song are you going to sing? And they say, I'm going to sing Whitney Houston. And you're like, no, 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 no. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just leave it alone. That's kind of how I begin to feel as I read it. But the more I looked at it, actually, the more encouraged I became. So in Psalm 88, we get to peer into the life of a man called Haman. Haman. And it's possible that he's the same Haman mentioned in First Chronicles as one of the music, musically gifted Levites who ministered in a time of ministered worship during... Uh, the time of David. Now, Psalm 88 is considered to be the saddest psalm of all of the Psalter, all of the 150 psalms. You'll be glad to hear that on a bright, sunny day today. You come out excited. We're, we're going to be looking at the saddest psalm uh, today. And you may have picked that up as, as Tim was reading it for us. Also, you may have picked up, if you're familiar with the psalms, that it differs to other psalms in that usually with psalms, there's, there's lament. There can, there can be lament. Some, some psalms are just pure rejoicing, but some psalms have lament in it. But then there's always a note of hope. Whereas, I don't know if you noticed, but this psalm, the last word is darkness. So on that exciting note, let's uh, jump in. If you look with me um, at verses 1 to 2. Haman says, O Lord, God of my salvation, 
I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. This is not just a, 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 a mumbling request. You know, you know, sometimes at Grace, you know, you quickly trot out um, some words, thanking God for the food. This is not that. This is a, a deep, deep, deep cry from within. A deep cry for God to hear him. And notice it's not just one off, it's day and night, it's continuous, ongoing, this cry. I wonder when we're in distress, do we cry out to God? When we're in deep trouble, do we cry out to God in this way? Well, why is he so desperate for God to hear him? Look, well, look at verses three to five. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Haman feels like he's dying. There's a lot of speculation about um, whether he had some kind of illness, whether he had leprosy, or, but the reality is we don't, we don't know the specifics of the situation, but what we do know is that he feels like he's dying. He feels like God's forgotten him, like the dead are forgotten when they go to the grave. During their life, they'll remember that they're in the grave and not too long, and then they're forgotten. That's how, he, that's how he's feeling. At this point, you want to say, enough, enough's enough. I've... <laughs> It's dark enough, I don't want to, you know, surely now, let's, let's wait for the line of hope. But look at verse 6. As far as Haman is concerned, the one responsible for the suffering is none other than God himself. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Try and put yourself in, in Haman's shoes. What might you be tempted to do at this point? You've been crying out to God and you conclude that actually God is the one who has caused the situation that you're in. How might you counsel him at this point? How would you feel having feeling that God is against you. If God is against you, and we know that if God is for us, who can be against us? But if, if God is against you, who can be for you? Where's the light in that? And yet, end of verse 9, every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. This is that, that, that desperation. Haman is in the darkest hour, and he feels that God is punishing him. Remember, he's not alone. Remember, Job felt this way, didn't he? Job 19.11 says, he has kindled, referring to God, he has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. Job 19, 13, he has put my brothers far from me and those who, those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. Job felt like God's wrath and anger was against him, didn't he? And yet if you know the story of Job, we know that that wasn't true in Job's case. Haman's companions have, but he felt that way. That's how he felt. Haman's companions have deserted him in verse 8, and so he's full of sorrow. And he cries out to God again and again and again. In desperation, he's crying out to God. Every day, he's crying out. He wants relief. He needs relief from his situation. After resolving that he's dying under God's wrath, it leads him to the questions in verses 10 to 12. Do you work wonders for the dead? 
Did a departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the, dark, in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Now, Haman's not questioning whether there's, there's, there's an afterlife. It was clear that the Old Testament believers believed in, 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 in life after the grave. A couple of verses to just corroborate that. Um, Psalm 49.15 says, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, and he will receive me. Psalm 73, um, 24 says, You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. So Old Testament saints were clear about life after death. That's not what he's questioning here. But what he's saying is, God, how can I praise you? I want to praise you, but how can I praise you in this situation? How can I praise you if I end up in the grave? What glory is there going to be in that? I don't know if you've ever felt that way, that you, you, you feel that your situation is, is inhibiting you from serving God, from doing the things that are, that are good things, that are honorable things, and you, you determine that, God, you know, you've made my body, Lord, and yet I'm, here I find myself disabled, or here I find myself ill and suffering, unable to serve you, and the frustration that, that might come with that. The place of Abaddon, which means the place of destruction, where there's no hope of salvation. Haman wants to live so that he can praise God in the land of the living. He's in great distress and he can't understand what God's doing. And so verses 13 to 14. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? He continues to cry out to God and yet continues to feel abandoned, to no avail. It's a scary thing, isn't it, as a believer, knowing the goodness of God, having experienced intimacy with God, to feel like actually God's turned his... I mean, it's bad enough when people do that, but, but for God, for you to feel that God's actually turned his face, he's turned his back to you, he's not listening to you, he's not engaging with you, he's not interested in you, to feel that way... It's terrifying. It's terrifying because you know what it's like to be in an intimate relationship with God. And that makes it all the more terrifying. It's scary. Think about um, a few weeks ago, my son was in the car, my, my youngest, and he pulled up outside my mom's house, on, in, more or less just in, onto the drive. So where Tim is, from here to there, that, that was where the car was. I could see the car. There's no way anything could happen to the car. Lillian and Elijah were, were in the car. I got out to, and I was standing at the door speaking to my mom. So I'm here. He's sitting there speaking for about five minutes. I got back to the car and as I opened the door, there were tears trembling down his face and he was shaking. I was like, son, what's wrong? Did, couldn't you see me? He said, no, I couldn't see. He, 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 was, he was fearful because he couldn't see me. I was right there. Nothing, nothing was going to happen to me. He was completely safe. But because he couldn't see me, he was tearful, he was worried, he was scared. Back to our text. Just in case you thought that this was just a short season in Haman's life, look at the anguish in verses 15 to 18. Afflicted and close to death, notice, from my youth up. I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me, your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. Think of being at, 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 at the beach or I don't know if you've been in the sea and a wave comes over you. you you're helpless. Powerless. 
to fight against it. This is how he's feeling. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Haman has potentially been suffering for many years. And still here at the end of his psalm, he continues to suffer. With those closest to him, also abandoning him. This is a a picture of deep depression. If your friends abandon you and you feel like God's abandoned you, what have you got left but the darkness? You're in darkness. And in that sense, that darkness becomes your only companion. You feel. So what are we to make of this psalm? And its author, Haman. I mean, having looked at that, what would your counsel be to him if you're sitting there listening to him say these things? What would you say to him? Would Haman agree with the two individuals that we, we spoke about in the beginning? Would he say, you know what, it's true. I know for a fact, it's true. Nothing fails like prayers. I know that. And furthermore, maybe God doesn't exist. Would he say that? Would the answer is a resounding no. Because as dark as this psalm is, there is evidence here of deep faith in dark times. Maybe some of you picked it up. And it's found right in the opening verse. O Lord, God of my salvation. Everything that else, else that comes after that is, is founded on, is rooted in this fact. He's crying out to God. When we see Lord, L-O-R-D, in caps, it speaks of Yahweh, God's covenant name. This is a man in covenant relationship with God. And to be in covenant relationship with God means that you're secure, not because of your faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness. This is a God, this is a, this is a man who's trusting in his God. He knows that God is good. He knows that God alone can save him. This is his foundation. The light in Haman's darkness is the fact that God is the God of salvation, and he knows it. God is committed to saving him. Did you also notice that as we were going through the psalm, no matter how much God was silent and seemingly absent, he, he wasn't deterred, that it, Haman that is, from prayer. He kept crying out to him, verse 1 to 2, I cry out day and night before you, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. Verse 9, every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you, verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. He understood, Haman that is, that no matter how dark things get, that God is faithful to his promise to be his God and to save him. He knows that God is merciful. What can we learn about deep faith in dark times? We learn that we must cry out to God. It's important that we cry out to God, and that sounds obvious. I'm in trouble, so I'm going to cry out to God. But I think the sad thing is we may, be, we may begin at that place, but then, like these individuals that we spoke of in the beginning, after God doesn't change my situation, then I stop crying out to God. He doesn't stop. He's relentless in his cry to God. He doesn't stop speaking to God throughout the whole time. He's not running around everywhere telling everybody else about his situation. He's running to God. Because he knows that God alone can deliver him. Also, to pray continually. To pray continually. Not just, not just crying out uh, on a one-off, but we're continually bringing our prayers before God, continually crying out to him. 
Pray with wailing and weeping. That's what we learn here, isn't it? This is, this is, this is, there's, there's, there's a real time for that. Male or female, adult or young, there's a time for us to cry out to God when things are difficult. Pray honestly and naturally. I love that. I wonder what, before we got, to, got here, what would have your, your counsel have been? Would you have been like, you know what, brother, you need to stop saying them things enough. How dare you speak to God like that? How dare you? Don't you know how faithful God is? Don't you know how good God is? How can, you know what, I'm even questioning whether you're a believer. But the reality is, this, this psalm shows us that actually an individual can have deep faith and yet be honest with God about how they feel. Even to the point of God, I feel like you're not there. I feel like you're against me. And if we're honest, isn't that the reality for so many of us? We might not necessarily want to share that with others, but that's, a tr- that's, tr- that's true. We have times where we do doubt. And yet we can still be a strong believer and yet have those doubts. God's shoulders are broad enough for us to be able to really pour out our heart and say, actually, God, this is how I'm feeling right now. How many times have you said things, but you, you know what the truth is. You know that God's faithful. And, and we see that back in, in, in uh, verse 1. He knows that God is the only one who can save him. And yet because of his situation, it's, 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 he's in great distress and he's, he's sharing that with God. He's not, pen, not, not holding it in, but he's sharing it with God. Remember the persistent widow as well. And she, didn't, she didn't give up. Kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And Jesus goes on to say that he's going to, uh, that God will answer speedily. And you're thinking, okay, well, how does that really apply to this guy? He's been for years and years. And not only that, I know people have been suffering for years. Speedily in as far as God is concerned. God's timing. If you think about it, our life is like a vapor, isn't it? As much as we struggle. Some people, the reality is for some people, they will suffer physically for their whole life. And yet, I was, as I was thinking this morning, I was thinking, what would I rather have? Would I rather have... All of the things here that, he, that have been taken away from him, would I rather have my friends, my health, strength, long life? Would I rather have that and not have God? Or would I rather have, if it came down to it, of the two, which would I rather have? Would I have the suffering, but know that God is there with me in it? Or would I have all of the things that God is able to give me without actually knowing that he's there? Haman's lost his health, companions, friends, his loved ones. And it's interesting, that even as we, as we look at this, we, we don't forget Romans 8. If you want to turn there, Romans 8, 35. So encouraging. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword, as it is written. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be, to be slaughtered. Check it. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Not in spite of, not, not when God takes us away, we, 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 conquer, we conquer. Actually, in them we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it can be easy to read Psalm 88 and forget that that actually is, that that's the reality. 
You could read Psalm 80 and think, God, where are you? you, you, you it seems like you're, you're, you're against your child here. God was there all along. Some of us here today can relate to the feelings expressed in this psalm. The agony of unanswered prayer. Feeling abandoned by God because he's allowed us to experience suffering. Maybe through illness or the loss of a loved one. Or maybe you've been crying out to God for an ongoing time for a situation to change that hasn't changed yet. An illness that you don't want anymore that you're struggling with. A loved one that you want to see come to faith And yet, the more you pray, the more it seems like they're just out there and there's no change. The temptation can be to give up on God, can't it? Rather than, I know know that's a temptation for me. I can talk to other people about stuff and, you know, complain about things where where God has not answered. But do I take it to God? I need need to to, to work on, on bringing things to God, pouring out my heart to God and not giving up, not watching what I see, but actually trusting that God is good. And that he's merciful. Temptation can be to, to be angry with God. Because he doesn't deliver us in the way that we want him to. Now I know a brother who 35 years ago um, had an accident. And since that time every day has been in constant pain. Uh, constant suffering. Uh, he's a believer. And as well as that original uh, injury obviously as he's got older. His, his body's twisted up with osteoarthritis. Some of you know I'm, I'm talking about. And, and I spoke to him uh, about, well, I asked him to read Psalm 88 and asked if he, if he could relate at all to some of the things that Haman is talking about. And he said, yes, he could definitely relate to that. Um, and that actually what kept him going was prayer. And it was prayer, knowing that God hears his prayer. His suffering hasn't changed. He's still suffering. But he, just knowing that God hears his prayer actually gave him strength. His suffering drive, drives him to pray. He's also trusting in God's promise to save. He said that he feels that too many of us, as, as too many Christians, can be so focused on earthly matters that we're not. You know, we're not heavily minded. We're not, we're not looking to the Lord enough. And I thought about that. And I thought actually, that's what isn't that. Isn't that one of the fruits of suffering is that actually it focuses us on actually, you know what, life is short. And also, as a believer, life, thank the Lord, I'm not always going to be in this situation. There is going to be a bright day. There's going to be a new day. I love the Psalms because they talk to my heart. Talk to my heart. In them, we see real people in real relationship with God expressing real emotion. They show us, they teach us how we can speak to God. We know that they're songs, and actually songs that, that, that Israel would have sung as, as a congregation, songs that we can be encouraged to, to sing. And the reality is, for some people who are sitting here, you're like, I've never, I can't really relate to what Haman, where Haman's at. Never been in that, I never felt that dark. Things have never felt that bad for me. Well, it's possible that you may do one day. Thankfully, this is not there. There's not like 54 Psalm 88s. There's only one. Pray out of the 150, there's only one Psalm 88. Thank God for that. But I'm also, I am also glad that it's there for people who will go through suffering like this to see that actually, you know what, there's, 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 there's someone that understands where I'm coming from. Someone that I can relate to. It is actually okay for me to share these things to God and to say these things 
and yet still be a believer. Now, if you're like me, then for the most part, you don't like sad songs. I don't really like sad songs. For the most part, I don't. I'm not, you know, you're in the radio, one comes on, you just think, oh, you know what? Find me to the nearest bridge. I don't want to, I don't really don't want to listen to it. I want something upbeat and, you know, and it's going to be exciting. But I've found that in dark times, in difficult times, because, I mean, I love music. I think music is a real gift from God for the very reason with, with the Psalms. It's, it's able to, to connect with your heart in a way that's just, just real. You, just, you hear that and you think, that's exactly how I feel. And that can happen when you listen to a sad song. Even with no hope in it, it's like, yeah, it's not necessarily you come away feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm healed and I'm better. But I've, there's been some, some interaction where I've felt like somebody understands. Psalm 88 gives us permission to be real with God about our pain and suffering without feeling that we're sinful or lacking faith. If we cry out to God, our suffering brings us to the strong realization, sorry, if we, if we cry out to God, sorry, our suffering brings us to the strong realization of God's sovereignty, doesn't it? We may know it theologically. In my head, I know that God is sovereign. He reigns over everything. He's in control of everything. Nothing happens in my life without him being in control of that. I know that, but suffering can actually bring that reality home to me. I just want to share a little. Um, I was, my, my daughter, my youngest uh, child, Lily, is now 14 months. And for the first nine months of her life, um, she didn't seem to want to sleep when we wanted her to sleep. Uh, she, she wouldn't get into a pattern uh, whereas our other children, you know, quite quickly they got into a pattern of, you know, a certain time they go down to bed and they sleep for even five, six hours or whatever you, and then she was like, she goes to bed, sleep for an hour and she's up. And so as a result, it meant that me and my wife, I'm not trying to make it like sound like I was doing as much work as my wife. She was getting up most of the time, but obviously I was affected by it. So <laughs> because, I, because I was lying next to her, that's not as bad as it sounds. You can speak to my wife, honestly. But, but it was a difficult time for both of us. Trust me, it was a difficult time. I don't do well on little sleep, as it is. Um, but it was a time of no sleep. No sleep. And it came to a head when, I think it was probably about seven, eight months in. It was four o'clock in the morning. This, this child, Lily, my, my youngest, is the only child who's had me walking the streets of Newcross at 4.30 in the morning, like trying to get her off to sleep. Or driving, McDonald's drive through I've been there so many times. I, they know me by name. I just pull in at two o'clock in the morning, Lily's in the back, ah, la, la, sing, singing away. But anyway, this night, this night now, I need her to go to sleep. My wife is just shattered. She's had no sleep. She's busted. And I'm like, Lord, it's not, not for the first time, but I'm again, Lord, here I am again. Like, Lord, you made this child. She's, she's fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not joking. I was literally saying this. God, you made her. It's, it's nothing for you. You are sovereign. This is an eight-month-old baby. You're able to make her go to sleep. <laughs> Not for good, but you're able to make her to go, to go to sleep for the night so that we can get some rest. What I'm asking for is a good thing. Lord, that makes sense to me. And after crying out and crying, I actually got to a place, honestly, where I was actually angry with God. I was angry with God. Because he wouldn't do what I wanted him to do. And not only would he not do what I wanted to do, it was like the ceiling was brass. There was nothing coming back. And I got to a place, I arrived at a place where I realized, you know what, God? You are sovereign. 
Was I suffering in the same way as Haman? No. But it, that little bit of suffering helped me to see that actually God is sovereign. And that means that he does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, for his glory and for our good. He is sovereign. And that was a, a, a revelation for me and, and will continue to be a revelation for me. And it came, as I said, through suffering. And I think that's one of the great things that can come through suffering is you realize, actually, God, as far as I'm concerned, it would be, make much more sense if you change the situation. What I'm asking for is a good thing. I want to praise you. I want to serve you. Lord, take it away. But he is sovereign. And in that moment of submitting to that and surrendering to that, it's like, Lord, as, as Jesus said, didn't he? Not my will, but thy will be done. All of us need to be gracious and not so quick to judge also. When we see other believers struggling with their suffering, what would, you, would you have been like one of Job's comforters? Or would you have been gracious? Would you have identified that? No, actually, you know what? There's, there's, strong, there's deep faith here. He's trusting in God. He's not giving up on God. He's not like these other guys over here. He hasn't, hasn't turned his back on God. And actually, we learn from the Lord in this situation who is for the most part, silent. There's times when we need to do that, aren't there? When somebody's going through real struggling, real suffering like this, it's not time to be coming up with flinging scriptures left, right and centre or coming up with ideas of how you think they should get through the situation. There's a time to be quiet and allow people to share their heart, even if what they're saying is not right. Even if what they're saying is not right, take time out to listen to them, pray with them, be an encouragement to them. I think we really need to work on this as, as believers. Depression is a, a, not a word you hear much in church, but it's a reality for a lot of believers. It is a reality for a lot of Bible-believing, faithful, God-trusting believers. And the answer isn't go away and read a few scriptures or pull your, your bootstraps up. It's a much deeper issue than that. Another time I definitely would really love to, 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 to share on that. I've noticed that I really struggle with this whole idea of um, I want to fix things. I think definitely if you're a man, you know in it. You see something, something's broken, you want to fix it. Someone's ill. Like in my house, like they know if you're ill, go up to your bedroom and just be ill up there. Because I, if, if I can't fix you, then... I either, I either try and fix you or I withdraw. It's not a good thing. And I noticed it. There, there's some people that, that are very close to me. And like Haman, in their darkest hour, they were in hospital and they were unwell. Actually, I, I, I withdrew. Because I, I, I didn't know how to fix the situation. But there's a time, and I'm learning from the Psalm 8, yeah, to go and just, and just be. It's not about me having the right words. It's about being there as a comfort. Knowing that you're there. Knowing that you're supporting actually can be a comfort. Psalm 88 also, as all of scripture does, points us to who? To Jesus. Who, although he's our Lord and our Savior, he's our God and our King, he can relate to Haman. He can relate to you in your darkest hour. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's amazing. Our God understands exactly what we're going through. No matter what we're going through, he understands. And that 
Knowing that alone can be a great comfort for you when you're in your time of distress. Jesus knows what it's like to be shunned, to have those closest to him desert him in his hour of need. Remember that at the Garden of Gethsemane, they could even stay up and pray with him. He knows what it's like to be deserted. He even knows what it's like to feel forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out. Interesting, not my father, my father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to feel like God has forsaken. Had God forsaken him, abandoned him? Of course not. What a comfort to know that if you find yourself in this place like Haman, this place of despair that Jesus understands and that he's taken all of God's wrath for himself. You may feel like, you know, God, you're against me, you're rough. But all that has been taken in Christ. There's no more wrath left, left for us. Does it mean we will not suffer? Not at all. We will. There are those of us maybe who, who can fully relate to where Haman's at right now. You're like, I read that like, yeah, that's, that's me. That's where I'm at. I want to encourage you to cry out to God and keep crying out to God. Where else are you going to go? He's merciful. He loves you. He, he hears your cries. And he will ultimately deliver you from them. In dark times, we must never stop crying out to our God who saves us and will, in his timing, bring an end to all suffering. Psalm 88 ends with Haman still in darkness. But then Tim reminded me this morning, he called me, you know, reminded me about the end of Psalm 89, the very next psalm. And it says, the very, very last verse is, Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. Haman ended in darkness, but that's not the end of the picture. That's not the end of the story. Put your trust in God. Continue to trust in him and continue to cry out to him in the midst of your darkness. Exercise deep faith in dark times. Shall we pray? What can separate us from the love of God? Paraphrase, nothing or no one can separate us from your love. Father, we want to take time to remember those who are like Haman right now, Lord, who are feeling like Haman, who are maybe feeling like you've abandoned them, Lord, who are maybe feeling like the walls are closing in, feeling like darkness is all around. Lord, we pray that you would encourage them, that you are there you hear their prayers and Lord that you are working all things together for their good that you love them Lord that you're merciful that you hear their cries and Lord would you help us if we're not in that situation but we know somebody that is Lord would you help us to be compassionate and be slow to speak Lord help us to be merciful and gracious Father, we glorify your name. We lift you up. We praise you because you are good. You are faithful, Lord. You are sovereign. And all that you do is good and righteous. Father, would you help us to follow the example of our Lord and Savior and say, Lord, I want to be delivered from this situation. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.